This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to count down part one of the best movie moments of 2022. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editors Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. Hannah Shaw Williams. Uh, that is me. And staff writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? All right, uh, Jacob, I'm going to turn this over to you and you can explain to everybody what we're doing here. Yeah, if you've been a Slash Film Day listener for a little while now, you know that annually we make a list of the 50 best moments of the past year in film. And we do that by making a giant list and arguing about it on this podcast until we have 50 and then we write the article. So we have a list right now of just under 200 movie moments uh, compiled by everybody here and Chris Evangelista, who will not be in the podcast, but helped us build the list. And what we're going to do is we're going to go around in a circle, nominate moments to keep, nominate moments to cut, uh, argue it out, talk it over, be civil or uncivil, and end up with a final list over the course of two days and two podcasts of 50 moments. Um, so I guess this is also part where I say, if it's a 2022 movie, there are spoilers for it. We are not going to beat around the bush. We're not going to be shy about it. We're going to be talking about 2022 movies straight up. And so if you're worried about spoilers, you know, if we're on a certain topic, you know, hit the fast forward button or sit this podcast out. Uh, everything's on the table, uh, even for movies that we have not seen personally um, uh, on this list. Like I haven't seen all of them. I'll be spoiled. So just be careful. Yeah, know your own limits. Don't email us if you get mad about spoilers. This is your final warning. Yeah, this is part of the reason that we wait until, you know, the second week of January to do this podcast. We try to give people enough time to catch up on stuff. All right. So what we'll do is going down our list um, in, in a turn order, each of us will nominate something to keep, something to cut. We, and then we'll lock stuff in, we'll delete it, or we'll put it into in discussion, meaning that it's been discussed, we don't have a consensus, and we'll return to it. And I am first in turn order, so I am going to nominate a moment from Jordan Peele's Nope to make it on this list. For me, a top five moment of the year. This is specifically OJ waits out the rainstorm in Nope. This is a scene where Daniel Kaluuya's character uh, is sitting in his truck as Jean Jacket, the giant alien creature, uh, vomits out, for lack of a better word, all the remains of his recent batch of victims. And it's this terrifying, horrifying visual of this night scene where it's literally raining blood. And Daniel Kluwa, playing a character of so few words, just sits there in his car, very calmly locks his door, and just mutters to himself, nope. And it is, to me, one of the funniest, scariest scenes of all of last year, and a a, a study in what Jordan Peele does well. I think that OJ, wait till the rain's over, nope, 
should be in our top 50, 100%. Do we have uh, any support for this? Is for for the, the new folks who are joining, you can, you can basically just like... Uh, pipe in and be like, mm, I don't know. I like another moment from Nope. you know, make your, make your case yay or nay. Uh, if you support something, you should be like, yeah, sounds good to me. And, and we'll sort of go from consensus like that. Yeah. I'd absolutely back that because that was exactly what I would do in a horror movie. I would just find like a little hole to hide in and then just wait there until things are quiet. That would be my move. <laughs> so this, and in- also I- this includes the whole part of the sequence where like jean jacket is like raining blood over the house. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, then yes, this is the, this is if you're only keeping one scene in Nope, this is it, full support. I will say we have other scenes from Nope on this list, um, and I want to say we, we can't have more than one scene. But I want to say I really want to make sure that we before we start putting movies on this list twice or three times because we could fill up the entire list with RR moments or Top Gun Maverick moments that, that could happen. Um, so I'd rather us stick to one at a time if possible. Um, does anybody object to the rainstorm scene in Nope going on this list? No, nope. No, hard cosine. It's it's the locking of the door that really puts it over the edge for me. <laughs> All right. We're locking in OJ Witch of the Rainstorm in Nope. So with that said, I think we can cut the rest of these scenes from Nope. They're all great scenes, but I, I want to make sure we have room for everything else. And the scenes on here are the Gordy attack from Nope. Uh, when we first see inside Jean Jacket as people are being digested. The cool Akira slide that Kiki Palmer does, which is cool but slight. And the fake-out alien reveal, which is very, very funny, but a movie full of real alien stuff. I'm not sure it belongs on this list. Can I can I ask that we don't cut the fake-out alien reveal just yet, but I would totally suggest cutting the others? I actually was going to say that I think we should hold on to the Gordy attack and at least put it into in discussion. Uh, and I, I will fight a little bit back against holding on to the fake-out alien reveal only because I think that it does... Almost the exact same has the, one of the exact same beats that the scene that we're already including does, and even though the fake out itself is fun, I'm not sure it's necessarily like one of the best moments of the year. But in addition to the fake out, it, it still has you know Daniel Kaluuya saying nope again. So <laughs> uh, uh, I would push back against that, but I'm not going to make a whole stink about it early this early on. So if, if you guys feel strongly enough to cut that one, I'll go with the flow here. Would everybody cool if we cut the Akira slide and cut inside Jean Jacket, but put Gordy and the fake out aliens in the in discussion for now? I would be okay with that. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, cool. I agree. I think that's, that's the move. Two one in discussion, one locked in. Next in rotation is Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, once every few years, a movie comes along that uh, that deserves multiple movie, multiple moments on a, on a list like this. And I happen to think that RRR is one of those films. So I'm going to I'm going to go to bat here first out of the gate for what is arguably my favorite moment in the entire movie, which is a friendship is formed slash late title reveal, which oh, yeah. uh, is the basically it's the bridge scene. It's it's the moment where uh, where Beam and Raju sort of look at each other from a distance and communicate without ever ever having really spoken to each other before, if, if memory serves, uh, just communicate with hand signals, this elaborate, ridiculous plan to save this child from an exploding train that's happening. And uh, it's I, I rewatched the scene this morning sort of just to prepare for this. And it's so... Um, the geography of the scene, it's just so crystal clear, such crystal clear filmmaking. The, the geography is like 
incredibly well established. You know exactly where everybody is. You might not have any idea what's coming because how the hell would anyone know that like raising your arm and pointing to the right means jump off and grab a flag and get it wet and then throw it to the other person <laughs> midair. Uh, you know, all of that stuff is just pure movie magic. But like the actual construction of the scene, I think is incredible. And then, yeah, going right into the late title reveal, which I think all of us on Slash Film love a, a late title reveal in pretty much any form. So, uh, you know, there are a ton of RR moments here. I'm guessing multiple ones are going to be on the list, but I just wanted to come out of the gate with uh, this incredible uh, forming and, and forging of this friendship that really um, carries the whole movie all the way through. Yeah, if I was going to say, like, if we were just going to have one RR moment on this list, it would have to be that one. Because <laughs> I remember I saw this, like, uh, in a prince charles cinema in london shout out and british audiences tend not to make that much noise during movies were quite reserved but this is after like it's after the tiger fight and it's after the prison riot thing so people were already kind of getting worked up and then this by this point like with the bridge scene just people just couldn't believe what they were seeing (laughs) (laughs) And, and it was like a religious experience just people losing it falling over in the aisles maybe not that much but yeah, like seeing this with a crowd with just the it, the way it kept ramping up and up and they're going, no way, what is going to happen next? Are they going to what? And then when you when they clasp hands, finally, at the mid, mid swing or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it launches straight into the friendship song. So yeah, this was oh, man. a truly great song. Uh, a truly great moment. I was prepared to give a little bit of pushback because there were moments, other RR moments on this list that I, I think I like more. But at the same time, this moment kind of encapsulates the rest of the movie. It's the promise of what's to come. So I'm comfortable putting that one on the list first, even though I think we may get another moment of the movie on the list, just because if we only have one, it's, this is the moment I think where everybody realizes that, holy shit, we're watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I totally agree. I'm kind there's, of... there's definitely one other moment that I will fight to include on this list, but this is, like I think, the one that's best representative of the entire movie. Yeah, I would say if we're only getting one RRR moment, I would push back and say this wouldn't be the one. But I think I would wager we're all in agreement that if any movie on this list is probably going to get multiple, this is probably the one. So I would be comfortable putting this to in with the assumption that we're probably going to get another. Yeah, and I, I think BJ is going to fight for not to not to very, very soon. Uh, but BJ, are you OK with this one being locked in? Oh, absolutely. And I will be fighting for not to not to not immediately because I don't want to go back to back, but a hundred percent. All right, Ben, what are we cutting? We're locking that one in. Yeah. I suggest cutting uh, a movie that a moment from a movie that I haven't even seen um, and nothing that I have like a personal stake against or anything, but Tony Hawk keeps trying to land the 900 in Tony Hawk until the wheels fall. No, off. I know. Oh, 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 Hey Ben, uh, how about, how about you die in a fire? Yeah. I'm with Brad. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm sorry. This, this to me is one of the greatest moments in in documentary filmmaking this year because it's such a, a hard hitting, brutal moment that defines like Tony Hawk, both uh, what makes him great and what makes him a flawed person. the The opening of this movie is just him nonstop trying to land the 900, one of the most difficult tricks in skateboarding, one that he pioneered, and fall after fall, he keeps getting up, he keeps trying, he keeps going after it. He he cannot stop until he lands it. And this is like the philosophy that defines Tony Hawk. He cannot quit. Even after doctors tell him that he needs to stop like skateboarding and doing this stuff, he won't quit. He refuses to quit. And it just defines Tony Hawk. And maybe this is just me being like a 90s kid who was never uh, 
ever, ever physically uh, capable enough to skateboard, but love Tony Hawk's pro skater and by association love Tony Hawk. Uh, but I, I love this moment in this movie and I just feel like it's, it's fantastic. No, I'm with Brad. I, I grew up skateboarding. That was my thing, but I would even argue that if you're not a skateboarder, the, the 900 is something you say that people know what that is. And, and I've seen representation of him landing this trick all over the place. I think the way it's framed in this documentary puts one of, I would wager one of the best moments in sports history and a pop culture moment that people know top to bottom, whether or not you skateboard in such a perfect light. I, I, if, 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 you know, documentaries are movies. And I think as far as documentary filmmaking goes, this is a thrilling, excellent, perfectly framed moment. I will fight hard against this getting taken off. All right. I'm putting this in, in discussion uh, for now. Ben, cut something else. I feel really silly. I thought it was going to be like a uh, not a controversial choice at all. But um, okay, I've been proven wrong. All right, let's go with uh, Pizza Papa Always Gets Paid and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Cut it. Yeah. This is a really yeah, I mean, funny I, scene. I, 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 I put this here just for fun. I mean, because if I mean, if there's anything that's probably going to make the list on here, it's going to be the music fight. I think, um, but maybe that's just me. Uh, but yeah, I, I put this on here just just so that we can mention it because Pizza Papa he always gets paid. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really funny moment in a movie that's entire that's a lot of good moments that don't really add up. It's a really good moment, but we can cut it. All right, goodbye, Pizza Papa. We we we, we barely knew ye. Uh, BJ, you're up next. What what are we keeping? Alrighty, so horror movies are obviously my bread and butter, and there are few things that I love more than a horror movie monologue, because I love when there is just a moment where an actor is allowed to just prove to the world that there is a lot of incredible acting to be found in horror, and that it's not just schlock, even though schlock's a lot of fun, and no one did it better this year than Mia Goth in Pearl. That monologue is un fucking believable i never thought that i would see something surpass tony collette's i'm your mother monologue for me personally but mia goth did it that monologue is unbelievable and i will fight tooth and nail to keep it yeah we have three pro moments on this list pearl's monologue the closing credits with the with the freeze frame where mia goth holds herself not not well for the entirety of the credits and the musical number with the world war one fantasy number um of these three I think BJ's right. Pearl's monologue is spectacular and should be the Pearl moment on this list. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. I'm torn between that and and the dance number for sure. Like those are the two, but I don't feel strongly enough to fight for the dance number over the monologue. So like I, I would defer to, to everyone else for the monologue there. Yeah, I think the monologue is a stronger moment in the movie. And uh, based on the fact that there's at least one other incredible musical number that's going to make uh, probably make this list, I feel like we can probably cut the credits and the musical number and put the monologue uh, on the list. I will say, though, uh, the closing credits of Pearl are spectacular, um, yes. where Mia holds herself in, a, in, a, in an attempted freeze frame and can't quite do it. It's like those, it's like the horror version of the old uh, police files jokes, uh, the old naked, naked gun. What, what was the name of that show, Brad? Um, police yeah, Squad? The files of Police Squad. Yeah. So... So we all think monologues should be on there. I guess my question is, before BJ actually picks her one to cut, do we think Pearl has more than one on this list, or should we just cut the other two moments and say goodbye to them? I think Pearl's got the one, because I could actually make an argument against the credit scene, too. But that, you know, we, if we can all agree that it's just this is the one, then I don't need to. But I think that's the standout moment in Pearl. So yeah, I think with, with only 50 on this list, we can probably cut the other ones safely. All right. Uh, Hannah, you cool with all this? Uh, officially, I haven't seen Pearl because it's not out in the UK yet, so I, I cannot weigh in uh, All right. officially. 
In that case, uh, I'll cut these two. Pearl, really, really good. Full of great moments, um, but the monologue represents them. So BJ, what's your official choice to cut? All right. So one that I'm cutting is one that I put on the board just because I wanted to talk about it because it's a movie that not a lot of people got a chance to see. But there is a Japanese movie that came out uh, called Baby Assassins last year. And uh, it is about two high school girls who have been training their entire lives to be assassins. And they are forced to kind of keep their their profile a little bit lower. And their like assassin organization is like, Y'all have to be roommates and you have to pretend that you're normal teenagers. And it's delightful because they have very odd couple style personalities. But the best way I can describe them is if it's one teenage girl has like golden retriever energy and the other one has like grumpy cat energy. So it's really lovely. But they're teen girls that are also assassins. But there is a scene in particular uh, where one of them has taken a job in a Japanese maid cafe and the Yakuza is trying to take down these teen girls and they can't blow their cover. So they end up going to this maid cafe and the Yakuza have to follow the maid cafe rules, which is basically uh, talking to these these cat girls like, oh, yes, I would like more milk in my drink. Thank you. And it's really funny to watch these you know, tough, scary Yakuza guys just be completely infantilized by a bunch of Japanese cat girl maids. And then it, of course, turns into a giant shootout and martial arts because it's a very fun movie. So it doesn't need to be on the list. I just wanted an excuse to talk about one of the most fun movies I watched last year. Yeah, that's totally fair. I'm cutting it, but uh, Baby Assassins is now on my radar. So, <laughs> uh, Hannah, you're up next. What, what are we keeping? Okay, so first of all, I want to say banshees of inner i think is uh it was somewhere in our top 10 top the top three of our top 10 of 2022 um or i think we did top 15 so i think we should do more than one moment from this movie but there's a really underrated moment i think which is um this is a film that's very it's very dark and it's very very funny and it's kind of dark and funny at the same time and one of my favorite bits is when uh siobhan goes to the lake just kind of uh, or the lo- uh, yeah to kind of think about uh, what she's going to do with her future and she sees Mrs McCormick kind of waving at her from her little witch hut <laughs> across on the other side of the lake and then so Siobhan waves back and then she looks a bit closer and she sees that Mrs McCormick is actually beckoning to, to her which uh, in this film it's kind of a recurring theme that people on the island tend to drown themselves. They tend to commit suicide by drowning. So when I saw this, I think it was the first, I think it was the first day it was out, and it was quite a crowded cinema. And I was the only person who burst out laughing really loudly <laughs> when it cuts to the close shot of her just grinning and beckoning Siobhan towards the lake. Um, and then it, that moment becomes even darker kind of later on in the movie. I don't want to spoil it. But um, yeah, I would I would definitely make a case to put that moment on this list because I think it's so it's just such a small moment, but it encapsulates so much of what that movie is about. Yeah, this is a good moment. It wouldn't be my first choice. Looking at the full list of Banshees moments we have on this list, uh, uh, Colm speaks with the priest, aka House of the House of the Despair. Podrick makes a case for kindness. Jenny the donkey in general. The milk cart lie. Uh, and Colin Farrell wants his donkey in the house. Are <laughs> the moments we have from Banshees of Inisherin? And I think the Mrs. McCourt one was great. I'm just not sure it would be my first pick. But what does everybody else think? Uh, I, I'm I'm with Hannah in that I don't disagree that there might be more than one Banshees moment on our final list. I disagree that this would be one of them. Hmm. What do you think, Brad? 
Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, Hannah's read on it, and I do like it, but I do think that the other, uh, at least one or two of the other scenes that we have are probably the, the bigger, better moments of the movie overall. But um, yeah, like I appreciate Hannah's like the connection she made to it and everything like that, but I, I personally think that there are better Beatrice of Sharon moments that should be on the list. I mean, I'm kind of in the same position as BJ. I just wanted an excuse to talk about that moment, so I don't really <laughs> care if it ends up on the final list. I just wanted to shout out to Mrs. McCormick, because I love her. Um, I'm gonna make a, a call here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just cut Jane the Donkey because it's not a moment. It's just me wanting to appreciate how good Jane the Donkey is and <laughs> best best animal of 2022. Um, but so my my question, Hannah, is there another moment from Banshees on here that you think should be 100 percent locked in, and you'd be comfortable putting McCormick into in discussion and maybe lock another one in? Yeah, if there was one other moment, it would be the the moment the kind of the speech about kindness from Colin Farrell because that's actually like genuinely really moving when he says that his sister's kind and he's going to remember her and his parents were kind and he remembers them that's just a really like there's there's moments in the movie yeah, which are kind of I guess cynical or you're kind of supposed to be laughing at the pain <laughs> but that moment is just genuinely very sweet so I would say Colin Farrell's speech about kindness yeah, this is one I put on here. I found this moment incredibly moving. Um, for me, the two moments from this movie that stand out are Colm speaking with the priest for the second time, How's of Despair, and the priest asking if God cares about donkeys, and Colm saying that he's worried that God doesn't. And it's crushing because it's it represents somebody who is seeing the worst in every moment of his life, where it's counterpointed by Podrick earlier in the movie, who sees the best, who sees in the moment kindness and beauty and happiness and it really speaks these two scenes some of those two characters so well to me the two of the best characters of, of last year um so those are the moments i would personally want on this list but it's not my turn it's it's turn i'm sorry um i, I uh, agree with uh, making the case for kindness that that should be on the list that's the moment for me i'm with i, I sign off on like if we only get one that's the one yeah, if we do get, I agree. If we get one, that should be it. But I also do think that there's a case to be made, probably a little bit later, that the the comb speaking with the priest scene could end up also on the list as well. But yeah, definitely the kindness scene. Everybody cool with us locking in? Patrick makes a case for kindness for, for Hannah's choice here. Uh, sorry, Hannah, I feel like I'm steamrolling your turn. I apologize. <laughs> no, I like this because I can kind of tag in as an extension the very end of that scene where 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 Podrick leaves and then Siobhan says to <laughs> Colm, "By the way, Mozart wasn't in the." Oh, I'm gonna can mix it up now. It was in the it was in the 18th century, not the 17th century. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, love I'm putting, that I'm putting Mrs. McCormick into in discussion. This is since I, uh, since I will at least address it one more time. Um, do we want to just go ahead and tackle the rest of these banshees moments right now, while Hannah's turn, and let her pick something after that to, pick, to kill, or should we just let it, let it lie? I mean, I think I think we're pretty close to sorting banshees out. Am I? Yeah, it feels like none of us are that far apart on this, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm the, all the, in on kindness. The, the milk cart scene is super funny. In a movie that's- I think I think we should put the priest scene into in discussion and cut the other two. I agree with that. Yep. I'm cool with that. I do love the milk cart scene, though, because I, I love just watching Colin Farrell's face as he realizes what he's done and how much worse it's getting as the lie goes along. It's just, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good in this movie. <laughs> Uh, also, I just want to give a special shout out to Colin Farrell wants his donkey in the house. Podrick, when depressed, just wants his donkey in the house. I found it so funny and so sad in equal measure, but I don't think it measures up to the rest of the moments that we already have locked in, so we can cut it. Cool. Um, Hannah, where are we cutting? 
Um, so the black phone, I would cut um, the grabber's speeches is on this list, um, mainly because I was just not interested in the grabber at all. I think it's just we've been so oversaturated with like serial killer, true crime docuseries and kind of dramatizations of serial killers. But when I was watching that movie, I did not care about his motivation. <laughs> Sorry, oh. Ethan Hawke. I put it out here because I like the screen. <laughs> yeah. I, put it I like Ethan Hawke's performance, but I, I'm ha- I'm happy to cut it if no one else, if everybody else agrees. Uh, I think there's another black moment on here that is worth well worth fighting for later, but I'm happy to cut that one for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, it's gone. All right, Brad, you're up next. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to pick what I hope is a slam dunk. It should be because I think it is one of the funniest moments of the year. Uh, and that is Ugly Sonic and Chippendale Rescue Rangers, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody on this podcast can make an argument for Ugly Sonic not being like in the top 10 scenes of last year. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I top 10, but it's great. Yeah, you're yeah, I, think, I, I, I think I think we'll f- figure out what yeah when we get there. Definitely on the list. Not sure if it's top ten, but I I mean if it ends up in the top ten, I'll be super pumped because this scene, this scene is hilarious. The movie is hilarious. If you haven't taken a chance to watch the movie, uh, it's brilliant. As the perfect spiritual successor to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I love it. And yeah, but this yeah this joke was just perfect. All right, Ugly Sonic has been on the list. Is, is any, does anybody here want to say a word against Ugly Sonic so I can fight you? God I dare you. <laughs> I haven't actually seen this movie, so I could, like, take a straw man position. <laughs> oh, Hannah, come on! <laughs> oh, yeah, that ugly Sonic thing, though, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of it. No, that should be cut from the... <laughs> Okay, Brad, what are we cutting? Um, I think that we should cut the credit scene in Black Adam because it's dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to fight you on that. Oh no. oh, no. You're going to lose. <laughs> that, that's okay. Uh, I at least want to stand up for this before I'm sure I'm going to lose this. I was the one that put that on here, but, you know. Uh, Brad, would you like to make your case first? I'll defer to you like a gentleman. It is so sloppily shoehorned in. It is poorly written, and now it's a joke because Henry Cavill is gone as Superman. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense, and it is stupid. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's fair to put, like, the current state of the world on that scene as it exists. So, like, when that scene exists, you know, we don't know Henry Cavill's not for sure coming back. So, like, it's not fair to apply that to it. Uh, What I can tell you is this. I was in, uh, I live for superhero cinema. And this year largely disappointed me on that front. But in a movie that was not altogether very good. Uh, and uh, seeing this in like a regal cinema instead of like an Alamo draft house where the crowd was not very into it, a very sort of dull crowd. When this scene happened, uh, myself included, it's the fr- it, you got like a genuinely excited reaction out of people. And like people were thrilled to see Henry Cavill back. It's something a lot of people wanted. And what's weird about it to me, it's almost the opposite in retrospect, where for a brief moment we did get that thing that so many people wanted. And it was satisfying to your general average moviegoer. And weirdly enough, it is the last time we're actually going to see that. And I felt that that scene really worked. And even though it didn't, you know, ultimately mean anything, in the moment it was exciting to people. And that's what you want from a blockbuster. You want that, like, nugget of what's to come. And I don't know. I think it really worked. So I'll, you know, again, I don't think I'm going to win this one, but I just want to defend that, you know, that was a fun moment to be in a movie theater, damn it. I respect your excitement, uh, and I, I I personally like the idea of Henry Cavill being Superman still, 
but this scene just didn't do it for me. I'm gonna put it in discussion. Clearly, it's gonna be. I I I I, I, I agree with Brad personally, but I'm not, let's, let's hold off for now. Uh, Brad, what do we cut? Um, I'm gonna cut. I guess I'm gonna cut the scene. I, I haven't seen this movie, but I just can't imagine this is gonna make the list. So whoever put it on here can can defend it if they want to. Uh, the barn sequence in Dog. Damn it! We got to fight again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a dog in this fight, so. Uh, well, okay. You haven't seen the movie, so you can You know, like, uh, did anyone else see Dog? Do am I just am I just fighting uphill here? I think you're the only one. Son of a bitch! All right, you know what? Cut it. I, can I just real quick say though? Dog is a really good movie. You should totally watch it. And it's some of Channing Tatum's best acting, period. And uh, there's it's a wonderful man in his dog movie. And in a, in a, in a you know, pantheon of great man in his dog movie scenes, this scene with Channing Tatum and this dog that he really didn't like and comes to love. It's this beautiful moment between those two. And I wholly encourage you to watch it and cry a little bit while you do. Uh, but fine, cut it. You All buried right. the oh. lead that Kevin Nash is in this movie. Now I have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ryan, this is your chance to get something on the table. Well, what, what's your nominee for keeping? Uh, I guess I'm going to... Uh, all right, well, let's let, let's go first. Uh, I'm going to do something that a lot of you probably wouldn't expect me to do, and I'm going to go ahead and fight for a movie I didn't love, which is The Batman. And I'm going to fight for, if we're only going to keep one scene from The Batman, uh, it should be the introduction of our new Batman. Uh, which we have uh, when, you know, Robert Pattinson was cast. Nobody knew what that was going to be for your average movie goer. Particularly everyone's like, wait, the Twilight guy, you know, a lot of us knew better because we had seen some of his other work, but it was a, you know, it was one of those things. And when you first see him in that costume emerging from the shadows and he beats the ever living tar out of that guy, like just, it is such a great moment. And it was, and it just, in a long movie, in a movie where you didn't know, and, and you know, when you have no idea where this is going and could this really work, in short order, you were like, oh yeah, this guy's Batman. He's our Batman. Let's let him be Batman. And I just think that that was such a wonderful introduction to that character. And, you know, I don't know. I think for me, in a movie that I will say that I was admittedly very mixed on compared to a lot of people, that moment sailed for me and I just loved it. And I think very much deserves to be there yeah i will agree with ryan uh not only because of the action but also because of the lead up to when batman actually shows up the way matt reeves uses uh space on gotham city and the darkness to create suspense and tension for like the criminals because we've seen plenty of batman movies where when criminals see the bat signal they're like oh shit but it's also them being nervous of any darkness nearby any spot that batman might suddenly appear and the way that he lingers on the different uh, areas in Gotham as people are like committing crimes and them just looking around in, you know, suspense. Uh, I, I love the way that they, they lead into Batman actually showing up. Here's my question. I agree. It's a great moment. I agree. It probably has a place in the list. If we only had one Batman moment on the list, is it better than Batman lighting the red flare and leading everyone to safety at the end of the movie? For me? Yes. It's a toss-up for me, Jacob. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I like both of them a whole lot. But then I'm also like an agent of chaos, and I would be like, ha a penguin instead. Um, all, yeah, yeah, I agree with you there, BJ. I personally think there's a chance for two Batman spots, to, the scenes to make it on the list. So. Let's do some surgery here then. Okay, um, first appearance and Batman Lightning Flare, I think, should be 
We'll keep on. We'll talk about it in a second. Let's cut some. Batman well, can I? I was going to say, can I get to my cut then? Because this actually might help us. What you cut? I was going to say, cut the car chase. I was going to say we cut most of the Batman moments. Let's just get rid of most of them and keep two. Okay. And, well, all right. Because I my vote was was to cut the Batman car chase. So if every if no one's going to fight me on that, that makes it easy. Yeah, I say cut the car chase. It's fine. It's, it's not top fifty. All right. I if we're only going to keep two, I think the other one should be the penguin. <laughs> The penguin speaks Spanish. And this is the penguin is annoyed. Batman doesn't speak Spanish, which is a very, very funny moment in a movie. I think it's actually very funny that people don't give enough credit for. Um, uh, I I would push back against the penguin moment too. If we're only going to have two, but for now, I guess if we're you know, I mean, I think like is that is that really better than the flare scene? Mm. Hmm. Yes. Let's cut the bat and the cat. I really like those two chatting on the rooftop, but the other moments are better. Um. Batman targets the Riddler. I put this one on here as well. Unless anybody feels strongly, I, it, I I love the way how the Riddler thinks Batman's gonna be on his side entirely, and how he turns it around on him. So I think it's a really well constructed scene. But I also love how it, the they make make it seem like Riddler knows who Batman is, and like he's on edge for a little bit, thinking that that's the case. But then he realizes that Riddler has no idea. It's a yeah. good scene, but again, I don't know if we're only gonna let's say let's assume we're only gonna have two. I don't know that that's it. Yeah. All right. So here's what I'm thinking. Let's get the first appearance of Batman as per Ryan's request on the board. It's a great moment. It's a, it really, as he said, it's super important that it makes Robert Pattinson's Batman viable from frame one. Five minutes in the movie, you're on board with that character. I think it's super important. And I think we can put um, the Batman lights a flare and the penguin is annoyed Batman doesn't speak Spanish in, in discussion for now. I agree. Sounds yep, good to sounds me. Good. All right. Let me lock those in the right places. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go um, the nuclear option here. Uh, on a movie that I think we are going to all want on this list. I think we've all been being around the bush. I think we're all been avoiding it. I think we're all kind of aware that's going to be on the list. And that is everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, we have several moments on here. The laundry and taxes with you moment, um, where Ki-Hui Kwan, uh, in the alternate universe, talks about how happy he would have been with Michelle Yao's character if they just had ordinary lives. The fourth eye opens, referring to when Michelle Yao's character puts the, or Evelyn, puts the googly eye on her forehead and proceeds to win a fight by making everybody's lives better. Two rocks in conversation where an extended sequence where in a universe comprised entirely of sentient rocks, two, two lead characters have an extended conversation to subtitles with as motionless rocks. Rakakuni, which is the uh, Ratatouille parody that pops up and plays a surprisingly large role throughout the events of the movie. And the bagel, the representation of, um, all the nihilism and darkness and depression and anxiety of the universe all in one place. We can't get all these in the list. I think this is another movie that may have more than one moment um, on the list. Um, so I'm going to make the case for laundry and taxes with you speech ending up on this list. The, the idea of across the multiverse perspective of one person shifts. They have everything they could possibly want and realize that they actually want something else uh, that in their other current universe doesn't seem like your ideal world. I think Ki Hui Kwan is low-key giving one of the best performances of last year. I, I think he's incredible here. And I think he's, I think both versions, all, all the many characters he plays, like the suave debonair version seeing the speech, the uh, dimension-hopping soldier, and the lovable, occasionally clueless, but endlessly optimistic husband. I think that this scene sums up his performance and sums up this movie and sums up what it's trying to say about finding happiness where you have it and not getting lost in the multiverse and, the, and what if. I think this is an incredible moment, maybe my number one in the entire year when I make my personal ranking. 
I'm really I, glad you picked this one because I I was going to pick this one next, and I can't <laughs> I can't watch this scene without ugly crying, and I find it difficult to talk about it without crying. So I'm really glad someone else picked it, and I'm just going to say I endorse this choice. <laughs> I'm glad that you bit the bullet in admitting that this scene makes you ugly cry because even just listening to just the passion in your voice, Jacob, as you're talking about this scene, I'm feeling like the lump develop in my throat because this, God, that line is so perfect. I saw laundry and taxes like written down and I started welling up because I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, (laughs) this to me, laundry and taxes could be my number one scene of the year personally, like of anything. So yeah. Just a beautiful moment. Yeah, Yeah. I've cried. I've seen that. I've watched the movie three times now. And it's one of those things where like, you cry the first time you see a movie and then you go see it again and you're like, I got this. I got this. I know what's happening. And then you cry so much harder the second time anyway. Um, yeah. So hundred percent. Before I pick my official one to cut, I want to make a proposal here on the rest of these, everything, if we're all at once moments, I'm wondering if we can keep two rocks in conversation and cut the rest. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I would actually, I, I know because I think here, okay, here's it, it, just to sort of, I think that the laundry and taxes line in a lot of ways in that sequence sort of actually does a lot of things that the two rocks and conversation scene does, but just sort of in a different way. Um, I think the Rakakuni moment is actually a better moment of what that movie does really well in another way. And if we're going to keep two scenes from this movie, I would argue they shouldn't be, you know, they, they should be different representations of different things that movie does well. And so I, I, you know, I'm probably fighting an uphill battle here, but that would be my argument. No, that's fair. Um, I agree. Do we cut fourth eye in the bagel to keep this easy? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the silliness is really essential to that movie because there's another speech about how even in a universe with hot dog fingers, we learn, we learn, we get really good with our feet. That's the line. And, it's, <laughs> and, and that Rakakuni moment does come around to being like really beautiful and kind of wonderful, even though it is silly. Yeah, All right, I'm putting, I'm putting two rocks and I'm putting Rakakuni into in discussion for future. I think we'll get a second moment for that movie on this list. If it's a matter of one. Okay, so my official actual cut is um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest two cuts from the same movie. I put them both on here. A movie I liked and I wished I loved, which is uh, The Needle Through the Neck in Hellraiser and Jamie Clayton in Hellraiser. I kept them waiting for a single defining Jamie Clayton moment to put on this list, and there really isn't one. She's really good. She's really like spooky as a new, you know, Hell Priest in this remake slash reboot of Hellraiser. And I want to shout her out. And I want to shout out the Needle Kill in particular, which is really gnarly. But looking at the rest of the horror stuff on this list, the horror movies we have not talked about, Hellraiser is merely pretty good. I'm very okay with Hellraiser mm-hmm. not being represented on this list personally. I'm I'm with you, Jacob. I think that this was a really like there was so much stress and pressure put on when you're essentially resurrecting a a very beloved franchise, but one that has also been pretty trash for like seven movies now. Um, So I'm very curious to see what this looks like moving forward more than anything. I think that that was my big takeaway from this movie was, oh, good, we're back in action. This is cool. Let's see what's next. All right. You got him. Uh, Ben, you're up. All right. Before I choose, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right. So for my choice... Let's see. I'm going to suggest Marcel realizes how big the world is in Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, I love this movie. It's a really small movie, a real quiet movie, um, a real nice movie, for lack of a better term. And I think uh, this moment where Marcel is on the hunt for his family and uh, 
gets in the car with Dean Fleischer camp, the director who plays himself in the film and uh, sort of is just driving around and like exploring the city of Los Angeles and looking at the map and just realizing that like this world is so much more massive than the already massive Airbnb home where Marcel lives. Um, and just the, uh, the realization in his voice when he, he comes to understand just how enormous this task of finding his family is and, and how he thought it was going to be difficult before, but without even realizing how huge the world was. And then the sort of sadness and like almost resignation uh, in, in his voice there just kind of broke me a little bit. And it's a really, really beautiful moment and a great movie that is um, really optimistic otherwise. Um, but I think that that moment of um, that like valley before you get to the peak, I thought was a really important moment in this movie and it, it just left an impact on me. So that's the one I would go for. Yeah, terrific movie. And this is a, it sums up that movie's mixture of whimsy and sadness, I think really, really well, more so than the other two moments on this list from it. I think so. I regrettably well. have not seen Marcel yet, so I can't argue. But yeah, I think I think Marcel realizing how big the world is is really wonderful, and also because that scene uh, includes the visual of a little tiny shell throwing up on a map. Hilarious! <laughs> um, it's it's such a wonderful scene. Does anybody argue against this one? I can't argue against it because this film has not been released in the UK yet. A twenty four. So please, <laughs> sorry, Hannah. <laughs> it's out in February. It like eight months, seven or eight months after it came out in the US. Eight twenty four just hates us. I'm gonna go ahead and lock that one in. And while we're here, before we pick your official cut, Ben, do we do we all agree we can probably cut the other two Marcel moments on this list, which are um, a clever use of peanut butter, which Marcel uses to climb walls, and the, and the finale, the final moments. I think both can be cut from this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Ben, what's your official cut? Okay, so I'm gonna cut I'm gonna I'm gonna vote to cut every moment from Violent Night, a movie that I actively hated. Uh, no I think it's it's just straight up terrible. Um, I think wow. almost wow. everything wow. about it. Uh, David Harbour is like fine to maybe medium good in the movie, and then everything else is trash about this entire film. Uh, oh, my gosh. Violence. Jeez, did you have breakfast, Ben? That's Come on. That's so many words to say. <laughs> you know, I really hate fun. See, that's the thing. This movie was not fun to me at all. Like, the n all of the martial arts kind of stuff we've seen done better in a million other movies. None of the humor landed for me at all, which like I said when we talked about the movie on a previous episode of the podcast, if you're like on this movie's wavelength with the jokes, then maybe I could understand sort of getting some enjoyment out of it. But th this just fell completely flat for me. I did not think it was funny at all. I hated every single character in it, uh, oh. except with the exception of the little girl. She was like mostly fine. But like the the movie just asks you to spend so much time with characters, even the, the ones that you're supposed to be rooting for, who are just... Um, like despicable people and like terrible human beings that I have no interest in spending any time with. The movie just had so much premise and and uh, so much promise rather with that premise. And it just, um it just completely like whiffed a, a giant swing and a miss for me for violent night. So I don't want it anywhere near our list of best movie moments of the year. Can I make a compromise? Uh, I... What's that? Can I make a compromise with this cut? Oof, uh, you can try. Cut two of the three moments for sure. And we put one in the discussion for I can, so I can argue for it later. And I think I know which one Jacob was going to go for. And, and so I believe I will agree with what he's about to say. I think Santa and Scrooge going up the chimney. 
which uh, yes. where where uh, Santa uses magical powers to drag John Leguizamo up the chimney and tears his body to pieces. So he emerges like as limbs and red mist is one of the, the most delectable genre moments from last year. Uh, and I think it should be at least in discussion. The other two, Santa getting his hammer and the R-rated Home Alone sequence can both be cut. I yes, would. I agree. Uh, eh, all right. Yeah, I, I didn't love the chimney moment as much as a lot of other stuff in that movie, but I, I, I'm violently opposed to Ben getting his way. So let's let's <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's, uh, let's keep whatever has the best chance of overriding Ben here. <laughs> BJ, BJ, how do you feel about the chimney scene? Should it be in discussion? Oh, I love the chimney scene. I think that it is such a great subversion of, you know, what is very much established in the Santa Claus of, you know, oh, he just, his body just kind of morphs. And it's like, but what if a human who can't morph did that? Perfect. Art. Love it. <laughs> okay, Ben, I cut two thirds of them. So you, you that's two thirds of the victory for you. Okay. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll take that. We'll have the fight uh, later on. Okay, BJ. I... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. All right, so um, I love Jackass Forever. It made my top five of my favorite movies of the year. And the Silence of the Lamb scene might be my favorite Jackass stunt they have ever done because watching people who have been friends with each other for this long just be tortured in like psychological warfare for our enjoyment is the best gift that I got last year. Um, it is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. Um, I was crying in the theater as I watched it. And it is the scene from the movie that I keep coming back to over and over again. There's a lot of great stunts in Jackass Forever, but oh my God, Silence of the Lambs is is just so perfect. And so just like peak Jackass for me. So if there's one, it's gotta be that one. Um... Can I... I agree with BJ. Okay, are we... I'm assuming I'd be foolish to assume Jackass is going to get two moments on this list, right? This is one where I would probably hesitate to get two on there just because... The, the, the rest of the movie is like pretty samey. Silence of the Lambs feels like it's like one of their most epic stunts that they've, they've done just because of like what what they what they do with it like it's deceptively simple what what they do but like it's such so, such a good trick that they play on the people who are trapped in the room okay yeah because for me like this is one of my favorite movies of the year hands down and if it were up to me i would at least have a couple in there but i i would sort of make an argument for the opening sequence being the only being if like we only get one um is anyone going to support me on that or should i just leave that argument in the closet like, I think that it's a great scene, but I kind of expect the openings or the endings of Jackass movies to be really cool because that's kind of a thing that they do. This felt really, it felt fresh, but at the same time, like, like only the Jackass guys would think of doing something like this and make it work the way that they did. Whereas I could imagine, you know, any number of these like amateur stunt guys on YouTube to try to make something like the opening of Jackass. They wouldn't be able to pull it off because they don't got the budget for that. But the idea to me is like, oh no, this makes sense to me. Of course, there's going to be a Pontius Dick Godzilla. Like that 100% tracks. Sounds of the Lambs came out of left field for me and I was like, wait, no, this is genius. Okay, I will say Poopy's saying like, if we get bit, we die is like one of the funniest things. He believed that in that moment. Like that was, okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll rescind. All right. So, BJ, would you be okay if we put Sansa Lamb scene from Jackass Forever on the list and 
gave a really nice handshake and wave to the rest of the moments and cut them? Oh, absolutely. Like, we give them a, a, a giant kiss on the tuchus. All right. That won't count as your cut, so you can still cut something else next. What are you going to cut? Um. All right. So I'm going to cut Newt's dance in uh, Fantastic Beasts because <laughs> I think the Fantastic Beasts movies are nothing burgers. The Harry Potter franchise needs to die. Anything that gives J.K. Rowling money is morally bankrupt at this point. Get it out of my face. Hey, I, I agree with everything you said, BJ. I will admit to adding this to the list simply because I think that it is the best moment uh, in the best movie in the Fantastic Beasts franchise, which is all actively mediocre. But this, to me, was like the perfect representation of how Newt's commander should be in these movies, where he's showing off his expertise in Fantastic Beasts. He's doing something a little weird and quirky, but it's also in this moment that is like a big part of Wizarding Adventure because it's an escape from this dark wizard where there's this huge scary monster in the middle of it that threatens to eat them at any minute. So yeah, feel free to cut it. J.K. Rowling sucks. Fantastic Beasts movies are mostly lame. I thought the scene was pretty cool, though. Yeah, Yeah, no, I'm not denying that. But if I could make a fart noise that wouldn't pop my audio, I would. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will say, we uh, every year we do try to find at least one moment that's a great moment from a bad movie. Our classic example is the lobster tank scene from Venom. Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll find one. We'll find one. Okay, uh, Hannah, you're up next. What do we keep? Uh, so this is one we've got a few entries from this movie on the list. Um, and it's the Northman with uh, one of the Skarsgårds. I can't keep track uh, at this point. <laughs> but it's one of the Skarsgårds is in Alexander. <laughs> That's the one. Um, and there's there's great mov- moments in this movie. My runner-up would be the volcano fight scene at the end because, you know, who doesn't love a naked fight in a volcano with your uncle? Um, but my top moment from this movie was the moment where Amleth goes into a tomb to get a, a sword, I think it is, from a... I can only call it a Draugr because this is why I love this scene because it's, it looks like Skyrim. It's basically a Skyrim mission where you go into a dungeon, like a long tomb, and there's lots of kind of winding door, winding corridors. And then you see a dead guy on a throne and he's got some loot and you say, oh, I like that loot. And then he goes up to him and, of course, the guy comes to life and they have to have a big fight. Um, I think, Jacob, you said you brought this up. You brought up Skyrim in an interview with the director, and he yeah. he pretended not to know what you're talking about. Robert Eggers was very upset that I brought video games in an interview <laughs> with him. But yes, this is absolutely a Skyrim or a Zelda quest line. It is It's also a really cool scene in a movie that's like dripping with supernatural overtones, um, but, but but never quite leans in them directly. It's always like, how much of this is supernatural, how much of it is not. Uh, I think this scene walks that fine line really, really well, and... I, Hannah has my support on this one making the list. I here's the thing: The Northman is a movie that to me doesn't totally work, but like like the middle is so too boring to really make it all come together. But if I'm gonna grab one from this movie, I don't think it would be that. For me, it would be the we have the Amleth grabs a spear out of midair, but that leads into like that incredible action sequence in that town. Like to me, that's that's blockbuster cinema at its finest in a way we just don't see that much anymore. Um, it felt like really, really awesome. And like, I just feel like if there's a moment in that movie where like, like if you're isolating a moment from that movie, that to me is the moment. And, you know, I, I I would push back against the tomb a bit if we're only going to get one from this movie. Ben, you're a big supporter of the spear scene, I think. I am. And, but I'm also a big fan of the scene that Hannah nominated. So I'm, I'm really torn between, I think Ryan makes a good point where it's like, you know, 
if you want to isolate like the best two seconds of the Northman, it's the moment where he catches the spear, but like the best scene I think might be the one that Hannah said. So I'm really torn between these two points here. Maybe other people should sort of break the tie. I guess I'm assuming that with the spear, we're sort of taking what that leads into, right? Like this, like the, the, the raid in that like town, cause that it comes immediately after him grabbing that spear. I'm sort of, I'm sort of taking that as a scene with this. Um, you know, like that catching of the spear leads you into that scene. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, I think that's fair. I, I, I think that, but the the sheer badassery of the spear catch, I think, is what we want to highlight specifically and how it sets off a great action scene. Um, right, but but yeah. yeah, but I would say that you got it. You know, it, it it sets off what is otherwise a couple of really excellent minutes in a in a in a in a out of the out of the box blockbuster film. To make a case for the tomb scene again, I would say like the middle bit of this film does kind of, uh, it does sag a bit because it's basically like slavery simulator. Sorry to reference another video game. No, I don't think that's a real video game, but yeah, it's just like hanging out, being a slave, doing farm work, being sexually harassed. It's kind of slow and not very fun. So then the, the tomb raid, the Skyrim tomb raid in the middle of it really kind of props up the middle of this movie. And it also does this really great thing where like as the scene ends, he sort of is wondering whether or not it really happened, which I think is representative of the movie as a whole, because there's so much of like Jacob said, that sort of like supernatural imagery in the film. And like, it's very um, mystical in parts. And like, you never really know what's real. And the whole thing is, is based on an ancient myth. So it's like elevated, heightened, um, you know, storytelling all the way through. But that moment I think is a, uh, is one of the few moments where like the the characters themselves are almost confused at what's happening, which I think leads to it, it sort of like helps the audience um, understand what kind of movie that they're watching a little bit. So, yeah, um, I sort of dislike that element of the movie. So for me, this this scene kind of gets gets at I don't know. And like and it's kind of propping up an otherwise boring middle part of the movie. Uh, I don't know. It's just hard for me to sort of imagine this being the thing that we're taking from. But but again, I'm not going <laughs> to. Right. I don't want to hold this. I don't want to hold this up. So here's my proposal: Let's take the spear scene and the tomb raid into in discussion. Let's cut the other two Northman scenes on this list, and we'll have Hannah nominate something else to get locked in this round. I'm okay yeah, with I, that. I agree with that. All right. So uh, the two we're cutting: the volcano fight, memorable, but not clearly not going to make the, the cut here. And uh, Queen Gudron, uh, don't give a fuck, which is a scene where Alhira Skarsgård goes to his mom and tells her, "I'm your son. I'm here to rescue you." And she <laughs> turns out that she. Does not care about her son at all. She wants to stay with her evil husband, uncle, and just completely turns their tables. And I thought hilarious, but um, okay. So, we'll put Morphman in discussion. We're not going to figure this out yet. Uh, Hannah, what's your next choice to go on the list? Um, oh, this is actually my my elimination, so I might start a fight with this one because I'm, I'm eliminating a whole movie. <laughs> Um, I, we've got two choices for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. One is the the music fight scene where they're fighting with the musical notes. The other one is the cameo scene where they will get destroyed by Scarlet Witch. My first choice to cut would be the cameo scene. I kind of I kind of hated it. I think it's very obvious that none of these actors were ever in the same room together, and it's just it was just kind of a big letdown for me and kind of really really encapsulated like the like how cameos in the MCU have become less fun somehow. And I would also, as a bonus, a fight to cut the music fight scene because it almost feels like a token award for a movie that was really unimaginative in its use of magic. Like it was trying to break out the MCU thing where magic is like flashes of light, different colored light. 
they don't do anything interesting with it. But um, it was fine. But yeah, it kind of feels like a token pat on the back for yeah. a fairly. I will say, movie. I put the cameos on here not for their not for the cameos themselves, but for how quickly Sam Raimi brutally kills them all and shows how little he cares about the cameos, which I, which I found very very funny. But also, it won't make the list. I think we should cut it. Uh, I'm okay cutting Doctor Strange, and I this was my most anticipated movie heading into the year. I was not more let down by anything than I was, well, close to almost anything. This is my second biggest disappointment of the year. I don't think Doctor Strange should be represented on this list at all. I would say take them both. I think the music fight's real good. Uh, I think the cameo stuff should be cut. Uh, I, I, even though I put it on here, I'm cool cutting it. The music fight's real good. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I will also make uh, an argument for the music fight because I think that is perfectly Sam Raimi. It's a, it's a very cool comic book moment, and it's it's done well visually. It's it's a little bit silly. It's a little bit cool. Uh, I, I think it should be on the list because, again, this isn't a list about representing the best movies of the year. It's about representing the best moments. And even though Doctor Strange came away you know, being a little bit of a disappointment, that scene is awesome. I'm putting Great. it in discussion. Okay, um, I'll put it for later. Um. And I still want to give you a chance to get something on the list, since since you still nominated, since your moments you nominated didn't make it, I want to give you a chance to get something on the list this turn if you want to nominate something else. Oh, I do have what I was going to nominate next, which is uh, from Pinocchio, the the poopy fart song for Mussolini. Yes. <laughs> I was just, I was. This is another time where I was just cackling in in the cinema, and I was the only person. This was um, at London Film Festival, so it was a room full of. Uh, critics, so I think we're quite watching it quite seriously, and I was just laughing because you know Pooh is funny, and he was singing about poopy farts at Mussolini, <laughs> and Mussolini is like he talks like uh, like Italian Elon Musk. He's just like I like the puppets, <laughs> and then at the end of the song, he's like I don't like these puppets. Shoot them. <laughs> my, so, yeah, my, my one hesitation is that. My worry is to only get one moment from Pinocchio, and the final five minutes of Pinocchio, the ending, is the, the single saddest thing I saw last year. <laughs> I'd, I'd argue for that. Yeah, I was, t- I was in tears. But Jacob, if you do only get one moment, the you know, s- putting up a middle finger at fascism is basically what the entire movie is about, and that's sort of what that scene is. So you know what? You know, that's true. Let's, I would argue um, for two moments, to be honest, because that I would argue for those two moments: the poopy fart song and the sad ending. <laughs> How about we go ahead and cut the other two Pinocchio moments? The second death, which was, um, I just wanted to highlight the afterlife scenes of Pinocchio, which are spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, also the story of Carlo, the opening 10 minutes. I think we can cut both those and turn our attention toward the two moments that have a chance of making this list. Do we all agree on that? I'm very yes. down. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Hannah, um, if you think Mussolini's song is the one that makes the list, you have my backing, but I will put the ending into in discussion. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'll fight for it when its day comes. All right. I'm putting the Mussolini song, which is very, very funny. Um, and as was specified by Ben, uh, a profoundly wonderful anti-fascist bit of comedy. So how can we say no to that? And the ending is going in discussion. And I will probably argue for that ending before I argue for a lot of things in discussion. So be prepared. <laughs> um, all right, Brad, you're up. What are you keeping? Uh, you know what? Let's dig into Babylon because we have six scenes from Babylon on here. Uh, and I think that at best two are going to make it. Uh, and so the ones that I'm just going to pick the, pick the two that I think uh, should make it on the list. And then we can figure out if everyone agrees. And then we could probably at the very least cut some of these scenes. So the two that I think should make it uh, are the evolution of cinema montage at the end of Babylon and uh, trying to get a single good take for a talkie in Babylon. What do you guys think? 
I think the evolution of cinema is a big swing and a miss. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, my two would be um, single good take for a talkie, uh, and Tobey Maguire takes Diego Calva and Roy Scovel on a tour of hell. I love the Gene Smart moment. I, I love Babylon. It's like one of my favorite movies of the year. So I would be yeah, happy with any of this being on there. But um, I, I know. I think I think we can cut the opening party because even though it's a super impressive, big, epic, crazy party that like the camera just moves through flawlessly and seamlessly, it's uh, it, it's not necessarily like a big part of the overall you know significance of the film. So I think we can cut that, even though it's like a big thirty minute sequence. I agree. Um, gosh, uh, I think we can cut making silent movies in Babylon because I, that's also. Can I quickly like, say why I put this on the list, though? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've read so many books about about silent film production. So many books about how different sets were, how they were didn't need sound stages because there's no audio. They were all outdoors. How chaotic it was. How low budget it was sometimes. How how the how different production was. And even though the silent film sequences in the first hour of Babylon are exaggerated, they're pretty much animaniac sequences. Um, this is the most time I've ever seen a major movie spend, like giving a glimpse into how silent films were made. And I found this absolutely thrilling to watch. I found it so exciting, like so funny, so thrilling. I was over the moon with these scenes, but they don't make my top. They, I wouldn't make it wouldn't make the list for me. I, I'll, I'll cut it to make room for the others. Cool. Uh, well, so I think that if the if there's one that's going to actually make the list from this, then it's probably going to be making the talkie, right? Yeah, that's not, 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 not that we're going to cut the rest, but that's the one that should at least be on the list for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the yeah, the, the, like the what the, the fifteen minute long scene where they try to take like get one usable sound take is so funny and stressful, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, does anybody here dislike Babylon or dislike this moment? I can't weigh in on this because Babylon has not been released in the UK. <laughs> um, I also haven't had a chance to see Babylon yet, so I, I can't weigh in either, unfortunately. I weirdly liked Babylon because this movie falls under the category of what I like to call oops, all choices where they just have made every choice. And you know, that's a, that's a, that's a bold choice you did. Uh, BJ, do you agree that the, that the uh, talkie scene, if we're going to pick one right now, maybe the one to pick. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Let's lock that one in. Um, and we can talk, let's talk about the others. See if we want to cut them or move them in discussion. I think the Toby Wire sequence where he takes them into the underground LA club that becomes increasingly hellish is the biggest weird gonzo swing in a movie full of them. And I would like to put it in, in discussion. Yeah, put it there. Yeah, I can yeah, agree with that. that. However, I think that the other two moments in here are not ones I'm sold on as much. I think the Gene Smart's speech is pretty good if maybe speaking the themes of the film out loud. Um, and I think the evolution of cinema scene is a wildly ambitious thing that I don't think connects nearly as hard as it could have if it it needed more clips, it needed more variety, it needed more history. I feel like it's a little, I don't think it quite works, but I can be convinced otherwise if you folks disagree. I happen to think both these moments work really well, but I also think that they probably shouldn't be on the list just because we don't need that much Babylon stuff represented here and we have so many other movies to get to. So I just want to pour one out real quick for the Jane Smart scene, that that speech. I love that. I thought that she sort of serving as this like, um, you know, gossip, head of hopper type gossip columnist type of figure, um, just like laying out the the reality uh, of, of the way that Hollywood works to Brad Pitt's movie star character and basically just being like, you know, this whole thing is cyclical. Uh, 
you know, the, the, your, your uh, rise and fall trajectory as a movie star is something that's going to happen hundred times over in the, in the coming years. And um, just like setting him straight as a character and sort of making him uh, realize that the truth of what's going on in his scenario, I thought was just really, really well done. So, um, but yeah, I, I think there are other moments in Babylon, I think that that maybe deserve it a, a bit more. So um, yeah, that, that evolution of cinema montage, I think, like you said, Jacob is, is a big swing and it really worked for me, but again, I, I, I'm okay with, you know, cutting it if everybody else wants to. I feel like you're going to get another Babylon moment on this list. If we're going to get two, it's got to be Tobey Maguire. I, 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 it's, I think Tobey Maguire scene is so fucking unreal. I don't know how they got that made. <laughs> yeah. All right. I okay. agree. Cutting that one too. Okay. So that was technically Brad's pick for the keep. So you still have one to cut, Brad. Uh, so to cut, uh, I'm going to cut something. I'm pretty sure it won't make the list. And it's honestly just something I wanted to mention because I think it's a, uh, a lot of fun and it's, overall like a series of moments really because it's an entire character and it's basically everything natasha leone says uh as merton the turtle in dc league of super pets uh this character is on another level in this movie it is so perfectly natasha leone uh everything that this character says is hilarious uh you know the the character um is super horny and mistakes a construction helmet for a turtle and tries to hit on it uh she swears in the movie and they they bleep it um, and it's just, she's just endlessly hilarious in this movie, easily the funniest part of a, of a family movie. And so I just really dug it. So I just wanted to mention it and we can cut it. Cool. It's gone. All right. Uh, Ryan, it's back to you. Alrighty, everyone. Uh, so I am gonna go ahead and, and circle back to, uh, I know, I think me and Ben had had a conversation about this a bit earlier, but, um, I'm not saying it's my favorite movie of the last 10 years or anything, but I am going to say that the menu uh, it was a movie I loved. I saw it twice in theaters and particularly the ending where uh, you get the cheeseburger moment where Anya Taylor-Joy's character has been kind of fighting for her life this whole movie as she's not supposed to be in this really messed up situation. And she sort of brilliantly finds a way to give this like distraught chef this moment he didn't know he needed and, in, you know, instead of all this fancy, crazy food, she just asked for, like, a cheeseburger, like a down-home cheeseburger. And he, like, commits himself to going back to his roots and making this cheeseburger. And just the way this whole scene unfolds and the way it punctuates that movie, I mean, it's just, like, it for me, I, like I said, it was my favorite ending to a movie since Whiplash. And, like, it, like, I loved it so, so, so deeply. And I feel like the menu probably deserves a place on this list. And I know that there are a few other really good ones on here, like paging Dr. Sunshine is very funny and great, but like, my God, what it like, cause there's this movie could, could have been just okay, but it stuck the landing so hard. And, and this is the moment. So for me, like, I'm going to fight really hard to keep this on here. What would I tell you if I said, I, I don't think the cheeseburger looked very good. Uh, uh, I would say you're wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I that's, I don't, that's I, don't, just, I don't even I don't even love this ending all that much. I think it, it kind of feels a little too simple and easy, but that cheeseburger looks delicious. Um, okay, I, I'm mostly joking. I think the cheeseburger looks pretty good. Um, I do I want more the menu. On this I was going to cut the. <laughs> I was going to cut another thing from the menu next, um, but I think the other we've got three moments. We've got the cheeseburger. We've got is, is the fourth course the final course the end one? No, that's the guy where the, where the guy shoots himself in the head. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, I was uh, if it had been the last course, I would have cut that. 
But um, the one I was going to ask to cut was the student loans line, because I think that kind of sums up what a lot of people have said about the many, which is that it's like politics of, of you know, eat the rich are just very, very shallow and simplistic. And that I thought was kind of, and by the way, this is not a personal thing I paid. Uh, I use student loans. I'm still paying them back. It sucks. It's expensive. But yeah, I just thought that, oh, you, you have student loans. You deserve to die. Oh, no, the, she doesn't have student loans. Yeah, doesn't. She doesn't, because she didn't have student loans, she deserves to die. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm fine cutting. I'm fine cutting everything else from the menu if we keep yeah. like the you know if anyone else wants to fight for another one, so be it. But I I will I will grasp onto this until you guys force me off of it. I wrote about Do- Page Doctor Sunshine for um, our funniest moments of the year list, so I I feel like we got that covered on the, on the slash film already. I think the reveal that Ray finds is out to destroy and kill Don Leguizamo's character because he saw a really bad movie is mm-hmm. extremely funny. Uh, but I don't have the passion for it that Ryan has for the cheeseburger scene. Um, so I say we cut Dr. Sunshine, cut the fourth course, uh, lock cheeseburger into the top 50. Yes. Yeah, I'm down. All right. Great. Ryan, cheeseburger's in there. What are you uh, going to cut? All right. I'm expecting some pushback here, but um, look, guys, there's good stuff in Avatar The Way of Water. We're probably going to get a scene in there. Are we really, is anyone really, really going to go to bat for swimming with the Tolkien? Are we really? Yes. Gonna, are, no, no, stop it. Are we really going to go through all this like, oh, the best part of Avatar is a bunch of swimming? No. Yes. No. Uh, I'm sorry. It's it's not just swimming. That that's like you're missing the point entirely of how beautiful that sequence is. And yeah, I will definitely fight as that being one of the sequences in Avatar that makes it. If it comes down to if it. if if we even I don't even I, I would say we Avatar maybe <clears throat> Avatar probably gets one on this list. Even okay, if that's it. Not the cheeseburger scene. Even if it gets <laughs> even if it gets two, is this? Re- I really just have a hard time believing. What do we got? Six people in here. Is anyone else gonna back Brad that that's one of the ones we we keep? Yes. Yes. You gotta be fucking <laughs> kidding me. <laughs> I gotta hear why. I gotta hear why. I this is stunning to me. Why? Okay, why? We'll come back. I, I Brad, you wanna go first or should I? You can go first. Jacob, you sound like you got it ready to go. All right. James Cameron is nothing if not a naturalist at heart. He is the world. He makes violent films about peace, to paraphrase something he said in the past. And ultimately, you get the impression that James Cameron can direct action in sleep. He directs action better than anybody else on the planet, but he does it on autopilot. This is a man who's fascinated by nature, fascinated by harmony. He's fascinated by us coexisting with the, natu- with, with the natural world. And Avatar has always been an excuse for James Cameron to build a natural world in which he can create our own existence with it and daydream about what it would mean for us to exist in the planet uh, without violence and or the connection does not exist in our current modern Earth. So, Badunas, he builds a space whale. He builds the greatest space whale of all time. And he lets us spend time with a space whale in a documentary fashion where the make of the kid talks to the space whale and the space whale admits that he's sad. And a space whale admitting to me he's sad is one of the greatest fantasies I've ever seen from any kind of speculative fiction. Swimming with a Tolkien is a great moment. No, like, I really like the whale. Okay, all right, let me ask this then. Since, okay, people feel, clearly feel passionately about this. Are, okay, are we in agreement that maybe we get two scenes from Avatar? We're not going three, right? Like, this movie's not getting three on there? Absolutely. I, w- I, would, I would agree that it's two, and if I were to, to make the choice between the ones that should stay, it would be Swing with the Tulkun and the final battle, because they're representative of two very different things that are great about Avatar The Way of the Water, 
Uh, and the other ones, I don't think necessarily measure up to, to either one in that capacity. Okay. And one of them, the whale ripping that dude's arm off is part of the final battle. So. Okay. So that's my thing. I would say, of course, the final battle gets in there, but like, particularly like the, you know, I think like the, the, the whale, you know, d- you know, wrecking shop is great, but okay. So I'll relent if we can cut those other avatar moments. I was about to back cutting this because there are three moments, there are three whale moments on the list and I like the other two better. <laughs> Well, like okay. My... <laughs> uh, thank you, Hannah. <laughs> I'm coming in a bit late there, but uh, I think if you're going to like re- do the um, kind of represent James Cameron's love of nature or love of kind of learning about underwater creatures, I think actually the whaling sequence might be a better pick just because it shows like, oh, here's how these space whales move in herds and here's how we separate off a mother and the calf and here's how we chase them down and kill them. And in the and I was going, oh, this is very interesting. I'm learning a lot about space whales in this. I mean, it's it's quite horrific, but it was very interesting. I will say the whaling sequence is. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I apologize. I was say I love the swimming though so much because, like, uh, okay, I like superhero movies. I like spectacle. I like whatever. But we don't have spectacle anymore. That isn't like look at how cool this action is. Like things are going crazy and there's explosions. This is a moment of spectacle that is purely beautiful and it is just existing and it is finding like the awe of the world around us. And I think that it is very telling how little we see that in our own lives and in our own movies. So being able to have that moment of just like, I can just be in awe of the vastness of existence. And also I am like very weirdly into, um, 52 blue the whale that speaks really really low like in our own world and like can't communicate with other whales so he's super lonely so like when the whale is like i'm sad i was like oh no because our own whales are very sad in real life and now i'm having an existential crisis and for a swimming scene to make me feel that way is like no one can do that but james cameron like oh god that scene's so beautiful all right well fair enough look me and hannah are pretty clearly outnumbered here but i just think then okay fine we agree that maybe only two avatar gets there so let's cut the other two fair enough yeah, how about we put, um, my argument would be swimming with the Tolkien and final battle get moved to in discussion. So we can have this clarify that later on and we cut the rest. I know Hannah's super into the whaling scene. I think it's fascinating. I put it on this list because it reminds me of Star Trek Four, the goofball Star Trek movie. It's, it's mostly a comedy about saving the whales, but they actually insert a sequence of actual whaling into it to remind you how awful it is. I think James Cameron really wants to remind us how awful whaling is. And I, I admire that in this massively expensive blockbuster. Um, but I really do think that swimming with the Tolkien and the final battle are the moments. Actually, I would specifically want to argue for the whale rips that dude's arm off as the one <laughs> moment for the finale that should be highlighted. But I also understand if you want to make it the final battle overall. Um, I mean, I'd relent on this because I think if we're going to choose two scenes specifically about showing how space whales work uh, or just admiring the interestingness of space whales, we should probably pick the one that's just swimming with the space whale nicely and not the one that ends with the space whale being murdered horribly and then getting its brain juice sucked out. Okay, so, so let's... How do we move Final Battle and Swimming with the Tolkien up to in discussion, and per Ryan's cut, we cut the other three? Yeah, I think that's fine. That sounds great. The other third one, by the way, was, um, was Quaritch finds his dead body in Avatar, which is... I really like that moment where he crushes his own skull. I thought it was pretty cool, but I was never going to make a list, so... Oh, goodness gracious, it's back to me. Um, okay. Guys, do I go with a horror movie everybody likes or a horror movie that nobody likes? Nobody likes. Okay. I am going to argue for a moment from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 2022 uh, sequel to the original. 
That's not a good movie. Straight up. It is not a good movie. It does not hold together. The directors were fired a week in the shooting and somebody else was hired the last second and you can tell. It is scattershot. There is a bus massacre scene in it that people talk about a lot because it's super violent. I put it on this list because I think it's a really impressively staged, gory set piece, but I'm cutting it right now. I want to argue for the final moment. And here's why I want to argue for it. This is a movie that I think a lot of people from outside Texas misread. And I think that most people who make Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies or those who make or who make them and who, those who watch them aren't from Texas and either don't care or don't aren't interested in the subtext of these movies. In Toby Hooper's original film, the main character is coded as, coded as hippies from Austin in the 70s, ventured out into the wilderness, essentially, and get massacred by the you know rural locals, which is a very politically charged image of itself. And I think wisely, the one wise thing this movie does is how intelligently it updates that dichotomy for Texas in the modern era of 2022, when there's a tech boom, when there's a liberal wave, when cities are becoming increasingly blue, while the space between the cities are staying increasingly red. And the final image of this movie, for those of you who have not seen it, is the main character being driven back to Austin in her smart car, like auto auto driving, her Tesla essentially automatically driving her back to Austin as she looks out the sunroof at Leatherface murdering her sister and she screams and it's this Austin tech character literally being driven out of the red space between cities in her smart car. It is one of the most politically loaded statements I've ever seen in a, in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. One that's purely about Texas these days. It's the only Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie since the original to be deeply invested in what it actually means to be set in Texas. And as somebody who's from Texas and as somebody who is currently moving from a blue city into a more purple area uh, that's currently going through a liberal wave where there's been, where there naturally is pushback against, against that from certain locals is uh, to me representative of Texas in a way that this genre, this, this franchise so often avoids just because it thinks, Oh, rednecks and gore, as opposed to thinking with location of what it means. If nobody agrees, I will cut it. I'll grab something else to elevate, but I think this is a really terrific, smart moment in a bad movie. I'm going to agree with you, and I detest this movie. It was probably my least favorite movie of the year, but you are absolutely right about that scene. And I obviously can't speak to Texas, but it is very similar um, in Ohio, which is where I used to live. When The second you leave those big C's and into something red, it is an entirely different world. And that scene captures that sensation perfectly. Uh. I didn't hate this movie as much as everyone else does, but man, I mean, I we got the bus massacre on this list too. And that to me is like, I know, look, I'm not Mr. Articulate around these parts, but like for me, like if we're going to, if we're going to take something, I would take the bus massacre personally. If not, I don't think it makes the list. Like, cause the thing is we got to start really whittling this down to like, what are the 50 that we're keeping? And is Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the end of this really going to end up on the 50 or are we just fighting a fight that's going to end up being lost by the end of this anyhow? That's the question. And I, the question is, do we have room for, a to me, a really interesting, smart moment in a bad movie when we have so many good movies on this list? And that's the big question. And I know BJ says she has my back, but if nobody else does, I'll cut it. And, I, and I'll, 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 I'll do it happily. I just wanted to get my piece out there. I think put it in, in discussion, Jacob, and see how the list takes shape as we go. Right. I would agree with that for now. Okay, in that case, I will pick something else to elevate. Um, I'll go for a movie that I know for a fact making the list. And that's Top Gun Maverick. Um, we have one, two, three, four, five, six Top Gun Maverick moments. Gross. Uh, uh, <laughs> who said gross? Me. 
Uh, Hangman to the rescue, Top Gun Maverick, the big raid sequence from the end. Surprise, there's a fourth act. Um, the beach ball, the beach football scene, and Maverick proves a mission can be done, where Tom Cruise you know steps up to the plane and proves it and does the right timing, and a final meeting with Iceman, where Val Kilmer makes his cameo, and it's really emotional. Um, these are all great moments. Uh, I hate Top Gun the original. I think Top Gun Maverick is one of the finest blockbusters of the past twenty years. Uh, I think this movie I saw it three times in theaters. I've watched it on Blu-ray several times. It is, god damn, it's good. Um, so my question to myself and to the group is: Which of these gets on the list? What do we cut? And we can, and do we put any in discussion? To me, the moment that sums up this movie is: Maverick proves a mission can be done. Yep. Yep. If we're keeping one moment, that's the one. Yep. I think we I think we can make an argument for two, but yeah, that's definitely the top moment for me. Yeah, I would say like like I said, yeah, this movie probably gets two, but yeah, like that that for sure is the one. Does anybody disagree with Top Gun Maverick or this moment? Okay. Real quickly I want to run through the rest of them. See if any of them are even worth keeping in discussion we want to cut. Um, I would argue that with a big action moment already on the list. We cut the fourth act, even though I think it's really surprising when Tom Cruise is shot down and suddenly there is a um, whole other movie happening. Um, we cut the big raid and we cut Hangman. To, um, we cut Hangman to the rescue. As much as I loathe to do it because my, that made my audience cheer all three times, it's like rapturous applause. But I think the other moment is bigger. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, th- I would agree with that. But I, I'm probably going to take the contrarian here and fight for the beach scene if we fight for anything else. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> also, does anybody else here feel have a strong emotional connection to the final meeting with Iceman with Valkyrie and wordlessly or near wordlessly um, communicating with Tom Cruise and the weight of that history feel like it matters as opposed to being just a, f- a fun cameo? That's the that's yeah. the other scene I would take. Like those are the two I would go to bat for. Yeah, I, I agree with that because I think that there's not only the weight of the characters, but also the weight of Val Kilmer as an actor. Um, and it's just a very well done emotional scene that isn't just uh, fan service. It serves a real purpose uh, for the emotional backbone of the movie and the story itself. Uh, BJ and Hannah, um, do you guys have opinions on Top Gun Maverick? This I is the moment where I give away that I haven't seen <laughs> I'm the only person in the world based on the box office that hasn't seen this movie. <laughs> um, and I would probably really like it because I, I really love the Mission Impossible movies and I like the original Top Gun. I like most things that Tom Cruise does where he's doing ridiculous things. But no, I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> um, I quite enjoyed Top Gun Maverick. Um, I did get a little like verklempt about uh the the reunion with val kilmer i thought it's like to me i'm like that's how you do a cameo because then it it did nothing about that felt cheap it felt very intentional i thought that was really lovely um but i personally think that there are so many good movies that i'm comfortable with there just being one top gun maverick scene um but that's just me and i know that i'm probably in the minority on that I'm actually with you, BJ. I, I loved, I really liked, like, I. so I, I'm with Jacob. I detest the original Top Gun, and I was shocked that I liked the sequel. But, like, when he said seven scenes, I was like, oh, God, do we really have to, like, have that many? Um, but the, the only thing I'll say about the beach scene is, to your point earlier, BJ, about, like, having blockbuster scenes that don't feel like just explosions and typical blockbuster scenes. Like, that beach scene is so much fun. And I had a gag all year that if you read any Top Gun Maverick article I wrote, I actually used a header for from the beach scene like every single time because I thought that it was like such a fun moment. And so I would say that like in a in a in a blockbuster 
landscape that is so riddled with the same that beach scene is kind of like a refreshing bit of air of like oh this is just like old school fun um but uh you know all right i always i'm always both in a discussion just because i feel like i want to not limit them even if they both get cut eventually i feel like they deserve the honor of being placed into <laughs> in discussion for now all right for my cut i'm gonna make a big one um i think that with the exception of um let me find the whole thing with the exception of the of the mid credit scene, we cut every single thing from Black from Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. A bad movie. Whoa. I'm okay with that. I, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to back you hard on that, Jacob. I don't, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to agree with that whole bad movie sentiment. Well, I don't uh, know about bad movie, but not a great movie. <laughs> uh, I'm going to disagree with that too. Uh, no, I think I. I agree that the mid-credit scene should be included um, because it accomplishes a lot. Um, but man, I particularly love Namor's tour in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I don't know. I don't know if I will be able to fight for it to be uh, to beat out a bunch of other scenes, but I, at the very least I will agree with cutting uh, the other three moments. But I do think that the, all the the moments that we have on here from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, are particularly great. I think that the the people of Talokan and the way they fight are the like super formidable opponents uh, for Wakanda. And I think that the death of Queen Ramonda was handled really well, and it's very emotional. It, I don't think it hits quite as hard because we already had an emotional funeral with T'Challa. Um, but yeah, I that's fine. I was actually going to argue to cut to cut Death Queen Ramonda next, um, just because I kind of uh, I kind of hate it because it's kind of very obviously just done for Shuri's kind of character development. Like she needs to be traumatized a bit more and lose another family member so she can get all dark and angry, and it doesn't really really complete Queen Ramonda's arc at all. She kind of just just gets fridged basically. So I was really disappointed when that scene happened. Um, but the first fight with the we've got the first fight with the Talakanil. Is that the what the very beginning, like when we first see them and they're doing that weird siren song that makes people jump in the water? Oh no, I was talking about when they actually fight on the bridge. Oh, they see if it would been them their siren song where they make people jump in the water. I like that because it was very spooky. But um, yeah, I just don't think any of those four make the final fifty. I think the credit scene it could, and when I say bad movie, I'm, I'm being a little. I'm, I think it's okay. It's below average. Um, I think the credit scene is really emotional and connects in a way that the rest of the movie doesn't. We, we talk about that later on. I'm not going to nominate it right now, or probably ever. Um, but if somebody does, I, I probably won't fight against it. But I think these other four just don't stand a chance of making top 50. I think we just cut them and move on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's fine, even though you did it in quite a rude fashion. <laughs> I'm going to back Jacob's rude fashion and agree to that. All right, Ben, you're up. All right, let's take another quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right, my next choice, I'm going to try something here. I'm going to suggest Navalny prank calling his would-be assassin in the documentary Navalny. Did anybody else on this call actually see the film Navalny? I did not. Okay, so this is going to be a tough one for me. Um, It's just an incredible uh, movie because it feels a little bit like a Bourne film, even though it's the camera, a camera crew following around... uh, 
Navalny, who is like the, this uh, Russian political figure who's like um, Vladimir Putin's sort of worst nightmare uh, on the political landscape. He's like a guy who is a, a political rival for him. And the movie uh, ends in such a way that is pretty depressing. And if you realize that Putin is still in power, you kind of have a decent idea of how this thing ends. Uh, but this this moment where Putin basically hires a bunch of assassins to try to kill Navalny and then Navalny and his crew end up tracking down who did it and prank calling them over the phone and getting them to, uh, they're like posing as other agents or something. I don't remember the exact uh, people that they're posing against, but they have them on speakerphone and they're recording this whole thing and they get them to admit to trying to kill him. And they all just kind of like look at each other after these bozo henchmen on the other end of the line uh, sort of blow their their whole story wide open. And these guys are just looking at each other like, I cannot believe that we just got them to, uh, you know, admit this like in front of our cameras. It's a really, really incredible, like one of the most incredible documentary moments I've ever seen. Um, so I'm actually fine if we cut it, if nobody else has seen it, because there's no, no this way. Belongs that... in the list. I, I have not seen this movie. I've heard about this moment. I've heard people talk about it. This belongs in the list. Really? Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I don't know if anybody else here agrees with that. Uh but you know that, that that would be my moment uh, if we if we want to try for it. But um, Jacob, if we have to put it in, in discussion or something, that's fine too. But um, no, I, I think we need, we need we need documentary stuff on this list. Um, I think that a documentary about Putin of all things is very apropos, and I would hundred percent support this moment being on the list. It has my like full backing. You know, I have not seen the movie. I I'll back Ben's passion because like I have a moment I might have to fight for here at some point that I'm pretty sure nobody else has seen but i feel kind of strongly that if more people had seen it so i'll back ben's passion on this i trust ben's compass for this stuff anybody else any uh objection outright objections nah all right you get on the list ben okay uh i'm going to vote to get rid of um Let's see the gas station shot in White Noise, which I put on this list. And has anybody else here seen White Noise? Mm-hmm. No, Bobak's yes. new movie on uh, Netflix right now. Yep, I have. Yeah, so uh, it's a weird movie, <laughs> not one that I like fully loved or anything. But I thought this this particular shot of uh, them, the, the family, uh, as the cloud of noxious gas basically rolls in uh, on them while they're filling up at a gas station. There's this really gorgeous shot of Adam Driver in the foreground and a Shell station sign being engulfed by the quote unquote airborne toxic event in the background. And in a movie that is really all over the place, sort of tonally, there's something primal about that shot that cuts through and taps into uh, the core of the fears that we've been feeling over the past several years because of COVID um, that I just thought was really, really effective. So, I mean, again, movie's real messy and very strange, but that moment jumped out at me as something that I just wanted to highlight before we got rid of it. All right. It's gone. Uh, BJ, you're up. So this is going to be my turn to fight for something that I feel like I might be one of the only people who have seen it. 
but there was a Netflix movie released this year called Do Revenge. It is a teen movie that very much borrows from the edgy movies that came out in 1999. So like your cruel intentions, your drawbreakers. And uh, there is a moment in it where Sophie Turner of Game of Thrones fame uh, is accused of doing drugs. And she has an outburst where she screams, I don't do cocaine and loses her mind. It is the funniest line delivery I have seen all year. I share it on Twitter constantly because I can't believe that it exists because it is one of those great moments where you have an actor who is very well known for doing something very different and letting them just go whole hog ridiculous and the fact that it is in like a random teen movie on netflix is just even better but the commitment sophie turner has of screaming that she doesn't do cocaine and she doesn't know what it looks like is a master class in comedy and i am so mad more people haven't seen it I 1000% back this. This would be my pick for a great moment in a bad movie because I didn't like Do Revenge generally, but Sophie Turner is so good and that line delivery is so incredible. <laughs> like her eyes are popping out of her face. She is shaking because she's screaming so loud. And it's just really funny to watch, you know, Sansa Stark, who the world sees as like this almost ethereal being, just lose her shit in the middle of a movie. <laughs> I've like, not seen yeah. I've seen a gift cross my <laughs> social feed dozens of times. I, I, yeah, I'm okay with this being on the list. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I will. If for those who don't want to see it, you can find it on on Twitter out of context and even out of context. It is it is perfection. Um, so I'm very thrilled that people are backing this. <laughs> yeah, I think this gets for me. This gets the Venom Award for best moment from a bad movie, as, as Hannah said. So. Um, uh, anybody object to this? No, let's do it. All right. Uh, BJ, what are, what are you killing? So I don't know if this is going to be a hot take or not, but I <laughs> I vote that we kill both of the moments that were suggested for Jurassic World's Dominion because I don't think it's a good movie, and I think throwing it on the list of the best of the year is kind of like when they give people Oscars for uh, roles they played 10 years ago, but they didn't actually do a good job the year they were nominated. Um, Ryan's your dominion. Uh-huh. Well, I, I only put one of those on there actually. The, um, I, I, cause I, I agree. I, dominion was my biggest disappointment of the year. However, as Jacob has talked about a couple times, we should, you know, consider good scenes and otherwise bad movies. And I think, the thing about Jurassic World Dominion is this whole trilogy was sort of building to this concept of like, clearly they, the whole idea was let's get dinosaurs out in the real world. And then you had this movie that was centered around giant locusts for some reason. And it was so confusing and upsetting, but I would argue that that Malta chase sequence where like the Raptors get loose and the Carnotaur gets loose and there's all this craziness happening is like a, a brief window of like, the really fun blockbuster popcorn chaos that this movie could have been. And it's like a few wonderful minutes in the middle of like an otherwise not great thing, but it's like a window into what could have been. And I would argue if we're looking to, if we're, if we're willing to consider that scenes and, and, you know, a good scene in blockbuster cinema, I would argue that Malta, Malta chase is really thrilling and fun and well executed. And, and it's like, great dinosaur action 
out in the real world, which was the whole promise of this whole thing. And if a moment in that movie nailed that, it's that moment. So I would I would be very okay cutting the Ian Malcolm thing we have on there, but this one I would sort of contend for a little bit. I will agree with BJ because I'm the person who put the Ian Malcolm uh, scene on there because I think that he's the only good part of Jurassic World Dominion. He's the only thing that really chased, stays true to the spirit of the original Jurassic Park movies. And the Malta sequence is the exact opposite of everything the Jurassic Park franchise should have been. It, it turned into Fast and Furious with dinosaurs, which sounds cool if it was Fast and Furious. But this is supposed to be a Jurassic Park movie. Didn't work for me. Felt like they were really shooting for the moon and trying way too hard to make something interesting out of a franchise that should have been done four movies ago. That's exactly how I feel about that scene. Like visually it's really cool and it's really adventurous, but to me it sort of betrays the heart of what Jurassic Park is. And as much as the Jurassic World trilogy seemed to have been building to the idea of dinosaurs in the real world, um that could have been done any number of ways and instead it really it does feel like a Fast and the Furious scene. And so therefore it's not as exciting to me because it's like I've seen this scene before with cars and just swapping it out for dinosaurs doesn't make it all that interesting to me and I was just really disappointed. I wanted to love this movie so bad and didn't. Yeah, I I also think that both these scenes should be cut. Yeah. All right. All right. Jurassic World Dominion, you suck. Um, <laughs> uh, Hannah, you're up. Uh, this one's going to be tricky because I really, really don't want to spoil it because not a lot of people have seen this film, I don't think. Um, but the film is called No Exit. Uh, I think someone else must have added this to the list. And it's it's basically just a really, really like tight 90-minute thriller with a small cast of people in a single location. And there's it's, it's basically a very tense situation that continues to escalate as people realize there's a crime going on. Um, and at a certain point in this film, a nail gun is introduced and it's kind of like Chekhov's nail gun because this is a situation in which you, <laughs> you just know something bad is going to happen with this nail gun. And there's two incredible things that happen in this movie involving the nail gun that I just, I don't, I don't know. I could just say, just trust me, the nail gun moment in, they get nail gun moments in no exit. But, um, I don't know, did anyone else add this to the list? This made <laughs> my top 10 movies of the year. I loved No Exit, and just nobody saw it. I I actually didn't add this moment. I don't know where, who put this on I, here, but like, I, I loved put it. that on there because it's the moment that stood out to me from that movie, which I thought was like pretty well done, but not anything. I think it's like in this, very much in the spirit of what we're talking about, where like these are the moments from maybe otherwise kind of quasi forgettable things um, that, uh, that sort of like jumped out and, and elevated a little bit, even though Ryan, if it made it on your top 10, then, then maybe you're going to go to bat hard for in, in support of this one too. But yeah, like for me, I guess there's a moment in that movie with, with trying not to spoil it. Like it's a very tense, isolated thriller. And there's a moment where sort of early on, like you think there's going to be a reveal later in the movie and there's a reveal like at the end of the first act that sort of turns the whole thing on its head. And like that for me would be the moment, but like, I, I don't know. I would sort of, I would like to see no exit represented on this list some way, shape or form. So I would definitely like backhand on this for sure. I back you, Hannah, just because like not very many movies actually go there. You know, sometimes they'll introduce nail guns and like, you know, people get shot from afar or something like this. This movie is like sort of, it does like the down and dirty, like it actually gets real intense there for a second. So, um, uh, I mostly yeah, just want it on the list to kind of to kind of promote it more as well because not enough people have seen it. I think it just kind of got dumped on on Hulu in the US and then on Disney Plus here in the UK. And I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And it was just I don't want to oversell it. I don't want to say this is one of the greatest films of the year, but it was just 
like really tightly written and entertaining. And I, I don't like the, the 90 minute thing appeals to me too, because so many movies are just two hours by default. Whereas this one, yeah, it's just a nice bite sized watch. Yeah, at least it goes on a list. I mean, I love the idea of this list. Not to, if, this, if this list was just movies people have already seen, like, oh yeah, I've seen this at this moment. Yeah, I like that moment too. Whereas I want this list to be like, oh my God, what is this moment? I have not seen this movie. I, I think this belongs on a list for that reason. Awesome. Yeah. You had right. that nail gun, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what do you want to kill? Oh, I'm going to kill one of my darlings. This might be controversial, but uh, in RRR, I would kill the Animals Unleashed moment. Don't you dare. <laughs> if only because there are so many moments, and I want to make absolutely sure the bridge scene gets on there. Uh, like, this was very cool. locked in. British scene is completely locked in. It can't, can't be taken off. So yeah. Oh yeah. Well, in that case, still like of the ones left on this list, I would I would cut the animals unleashed. <laughs> How about we briefly discuss all the all three remaining RR scenes? Figure out what goes in discussion if we, with the cut. I think that, that's probably a good use of our time here. Uh, yes. It, uh, look, as a man who wrote our top blockbuster scenes of the year list, a list that a lot of people probably disagreed with, but whatever. I am gainfully employed by this website. So all I will say is that I listed the scene in question as my number one blockbuster movie moment of the year. So for me to see this cut is, I mean, it's going to be hard for me to agree with that. Like this is, this is the moment in that movie where you go like, there's so many, this is a movie filled with amazing moments and this is utter chaos. And like Western North American filmmaking just doesn't see stuff like this. And then you realize it's only halfway through the movie. Like that's one of the most amazing things is like this gigantic, incredible, inventive, exciting thing leads you to a title card. That's like, cool, here's your break. You've got another half of this left to go. I mean, that was the third act battle. I was like, Oh, this has been a great movie and this is a great way to end it, but Nope, it's halfway through. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, like that, this, this one's, tough to kill i don't know i I, unless someone really is gonna like i don't know i I have a hard time because like we've got three movies on uh, three movies three moments left and i would fight for the other two more like i really really love the the escape (laughs) scene and like the whole escape sequence in our eyes just ludicrous and entertaining i would say three moments from this movie could make the end list and i would say this should be one of them how about we move all three remaining RR moments in discussion? Hannah can cut something else. Because those three moments are Not Do Not Do, the dance sequence, the jungle prison escape, and Animals Unleashed, all of which I think on any other year would top this list. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, finally, else to kill. We're going to move. I think we're not ready to have this RR discussion just yet. It's too emotional. Okay, I've got another one. Uh, my other pick would be from The Woman King. The Again, this is spoilers, so cup your ears if you haven't seen it. The shark tooth scar reveal. I just thought that was very contrived and was not really into that twist. Um, basically, you find out that the little girl who's been brought into this army is the daughter of the general, the long-lost daughter, who was abandoned as a baby. And I just thought it was a bit cliche. I don't know how anyone else feels. I liked the connective tissue between those two characters quite a bit and the way that that was their way of introducing how, you know, there's there's such a loss of autonomy Um when women have children in a lot of these situations. I did like that. I did think the scar reveal was a little on the nose for me. And I much prefer the other scenes that I know were nominated for this. So I'm okay with that one going. 
Yeah, I would. I would have been better if like she had abandoned a baby and then also this little girl was abandoned as a baby, but they weren't the same baby. Like if mm-hmm. they, if that was like the emotional connection, but for them to be literally mother and daughter, I thought was a bit yeah. All right, let's cut it. Hey, Brad, you turn to elevate something to the top of the list. Okay, um, let's. You know, I'm gonna go to bat for a, a, a movie that uh, I think I'm the only one who has seen it, unless somebody else went out of their way to watch it since they saw this on the list or saw this movie at number ten on my top ten list, uh, and that's the opening sequence of Athena. Um, this is a, uh, a French film that debuted on Netflix back in the fall. Uh, it takes place in France in this community called uh, Athena, where there is this huge clash between police um, and this uh, nearby gang after an instance of police brutality has resulted in the death of a 13-year-old boy. Uh, one of their older brothers is leading this revolution against the police. Another one of the older brothers is part of the French military and is trying to keep everybody calm. And another one of their brothers is trying to get weapons and drugs out of the apartment where this huge clash between police and this gang takes place. Uh, I'm nominating this scene, for, uh, the opening sequence of this movie. It's the first uh, 10 or 11 minutes uh, or so because it is an incredible uh, sequence technically and thematically and just the way it's shot, uh, how intense it is. It is uh, a spectacularly shot sequence because it is done in a legitimate single take and the ground that it covers and how complicated and complex it is, is truly uh, awe inspiring. Uh, it's directed by Romain uh, Gavras and the way the sequence unfolds is, is the, the military brother is uh, speaking to the press about the death uh, telling everybody to stay calm. The camera pans over to the other brother who is waiting with a Molotov cocktail and he throws it at the police station. Chaos erupts. The whole gang runs through the police station. They're trying to collect a safe that has weapons in it. They hop in a stolen uh, police van and leave the police station and the camera sticks with them this entire time, moving through the police station, fireworks shooting everywhere, uh, people fighting, there's smoke everywhere, it's chaos, gets into the van, drives around the street, there's uh, dirt bikes doing wheelies next to the the van as they're driving by, and they drive across town. It all happens in real time, a single uncut sequence that ends up at this uh, small like apartment complex, best described as like the projects basically in this uh, community of Athena. And the shot ends on the gang standing on this bridge outside of the apartment complex that looks like it's from the Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh, it has the precision filmmaking of Christopher Nolan and Alfonso Cuaron. It has this incredible pulsing score. It is just a truly impressive sequence and spectacle of incredible cinematic filmmaking. And I will fight for it to be on this list. I'm going to back you on that. Yeah. Because uh, I have seen this one. I watched it when I was putting together the list of the original films or at least original acquisitions for Netflix um, of this year. And I was blown away by this opening sequence. I do wish that I liked the rest of the movie as much as I like this opening because mm-hmm. it's one of those opening sequences like the, this sounds bad but like the way i think about it is like ghost ship where it's like whoa this opening scene is just so killer and then the rest of the movie kind of fell flat for me but this opening is unfreaking believable and absolutely deserves to be here i oh, yeah i will flood this because i haven't seen this movie but i'm completely sold now <laughs> I, I think <laughs> this is a joke without it like this list has to have the opening scene for athena i mean it really is I'm so sick and tired of long takes for the sake of long takes. I think some filmmakers abuse that. Then this one comes along and goes like, oh, oh yeah, this is why it's this good. Yes. Yeah, I've seen it too, Brad. It's, it's great. Yeah, go for it. 
Awesome. All right, that one's locked in. Brad, kill something. Uh, I am going to cut two of my own just because I don't think that they're going to make it, but I did want to highlight them. Um, and it's two scenes from Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Uh, the return of Beavis and Butthead this year has been spectacular. If you have not heard, uh, it started with this movie, uh, that brings Beavis and Butthead into contemporary times through, by way of a black hole, which in, in itself is hilarious. Um, but once they arrive in modern times, they actually have to get acquainted with things that are happening in, uh, our, our current time period. And that includes getting a cell phone where what they do once they get a cell phone from a family after they fall over a, a pier, uh, they use it to use Apple Pay to just buy a bunch of nachos. And they continue to buy nachos. And then they buy a super expensive crystal bowl because they want to put nachos in it. And I just love how stupidly immature and dumb it is. It is perfectly representative of everything Beavis and Butthead used to be. And I love that Mike Judge was able to just like keep that framework uh, in this movie. And along that same lines, uh, with a little bit more of a, a clever uh, commentary, Beavis and Butthead learning that they have white privilege in Beavis and Butthead do the universe and using it in a way that only Beavis and Butthead can because they're told that as two white guys uh, who have stumbled upon college that they have white privilege and they take that as carte blanche to mean that they can just do whatever they want to without consequences uh, and they just walk around uh, with this very sense of stupid entitlement and uh, it is it's quite hilarious both scenes are really funny and if you haven't seen the movie you should watch it and on top of that watch the series revival because it is hilarious and everything Beavis and Butthead should be (laughs) BJ do you think you should stay I don't think that they should stay. Like, I loved this movie. I I don't know if it's, you know, best 50 moments of the year kind of thing, but it is really great, and I've loved the series revival. Watching them mock TikTok videos is everything that I've ever needed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Goodbye, Beavis and Butthead. They got their moment in the spotlight for us. Um, all right, Brad. Um, sorry, it was Brad. Ryan, uh, what do you want to nominate to keep? All right, I think we're kind of getting down to the end of the first day here. So uh, I want to end on like a bigger movie and one that I think, you know what, this might be the sort of like, we've talked a lot about maybe a not so great movie in the eyes of many with a scene getting in, but let's talk about Halloween Ends for a second. Um, This is a movie that I ended up, when I saw it, I didn't know how to feel. And the longer I've thought about it, the more I kind of absolutely love Halloween Ends. Um, But you know, we have a few moments listed in this list, but I think there's one thing that encapsulates Halloween ends has some big ideas and it doesn't do the safe thing. And I think one of the big things is this movie is called Halloween ends. And that's kind of in itself a big statement. The craziest thing about it is that it actually does end. It does give us a definitive conclusion to the saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. It it really does do the thing that it sets out to do. And in horror, it is so wildly uncommon for that to be because, you know, because money. And I'm not saying we're never going to get another Halloween movie, but I am saying it's pretty impressive that a big studio took such a big swing and said, okay, we're going to do this thing. We are going to actually kill Michael Myers and we are not going to leave any room for like interpretation and, you know, to make such a big statement with the way that they did do it. And just to take that big of a swing and really commit, I think for such a long running, enduring, you know, I know you hate this word, Jacob, but iconic franchise and for it to act. This one earns iconic. But but for it to do that, I think like any of these other moments we were going to maybe discuss, I think kind of tie into that. 
Um, and like, there's, there's a bigger swing in this movie that sort of suggests like, you know, just cause Michael Myers is dead doesn't mean that like, you know, evil dies tonight or whatever, but like, but, but, um, but yeah, I do think the fact that it really committed to ending and ending the way that it did. end, I, I think, you know, in, it, in, in the scope of cinema, that's a big deal. And, and I, in, you can say a lot of things about this movie, but I do think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, of the other two moments here are both tied to Corey, who is like the actual lead character of Michael Myers in Halloween Ends. Uh, Corey's big massacre, and Corey in the shape uh, tag team a kill. I put all these moments on here, um, but the fact that the movie ends with Michael Myers' corpse literally being fed through a grinder until he's paced. Um, it's a statement. They really, they actually meant the title and they wrote it. Um, so I know Halloween Ends is very controversial. I know that um, people on this call, I think a few, a few people here who actively do not like it. Um, but I do think that definitively destroying Michael Myers' corpse to the point where they, they cannot make a sequel to this movie. They can bring it back in a rebooted fashion, but this timeline is over. This version is dead. It cannot ever come back. To me, is the kind of bold statement that I agree with Ryan. I really admire and think it should be on the list personally. I regrettably agree um, because I was not super keen on this movie. Um, I have complicated feelings. I should say that. It, I don't want to be too mean. Um, I do want to shout out the tag team kill because that was my favorite gay threesome scene of the year. Big fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was such a bold choice to actually kill Michael Myers. Like no other franchise has actually ever definitively killed off their like lead slasher like they always come back in some form and you can't with this like maybe we'll get you know halloween 2 Corey's revenge or something like maybe we'll get that um but what a choice yeah i'm down yeah i haven't seen this movie yet but from the way you guys are talking about it it sounds like i dig it yeah, so I think we should. So we agree we should, we should cut the two Corey moments and keep Michael Myers being put through a literal grinder until he's paced. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's be locked in. Orion, what do you want to kill? Um. All right. So I think we kind of talked about this movie a little bit, and I and it there's not going to be a lot of love for it, and and I agree with you, Jacob, that Black Adam not using doors is funny as hell, but like we need to really start getting down to the meat here, and I just think it's. I don't know that there's a chance in hell that that scene makes the cut. So. Oh, it's gone. I, I put it in here because I, I put it on our list of funniest moments of the year. And a very bad movie. I think Black Adam is very bad. Uh, Black Adam being so powerful that he just doesn't use doors. He just walks through every wall he wants to walk through. is incredibly funny. And I wish the movie had more of anything like that. But it's gone. It's gone. So Okay. Bye. All right. Yeah, then that's easy enough. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more round? Should we, should we knock it one more round, guys? Yeah. Let's yes, go. Let's do it. Okay. All right, I'm going to end with a big one. Um, oh, shoot. Guys, should, should, do, do you want, guys want um, heartwarming or do you want um, gross and terrifying? Gross, gross, gross. Heartwarming. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm a sicko, so you know my answer. I'm going to go for Barbarian, um, specifically the tape measure scene where uh, Justin Long, um, halfway through the movie, the, the movie shifts suddenly to him. And he goes down into the basement of this house he owns in Michigan and a space that was previously treated as being this utterly terrifying, dark, awful place full of nastiness where, where the, the female lead refuses to even go into the uh, go in there until she absolutely has to. It's, it's treated as being the ultimate nightmare space. Justin Long, white, oblivious asshole that he is, waltzes in there completely nonplussed 
realizes, oh, I have extra basement space, and starts measuring his this nightmare space using a tape measure. Is completely unaware and oblivious that he's walked into a place where there's murder and nightmares happening around him at all times. And the reason why I want to talk about this moment, in addition to being really, really funny, like the moment it smash cuts to him from seeing like, oh my god, to him like excitedly googling if basement space adds a property value huge huge laugh incredibly funny and him obliviously tape measuring is so funny but when i saw barbarian a second time i saw it with my wife and we were leaving the theater and walking through the parking garage to our car and i see a guy under his car trying to work on something fixing his car's not starting and i walk over to him and i say hey are you okay do you need any help and the guy said oh no thank you i'm good we kept walking we got in my car my wife turned to me and said see that's what barbarian's about i said what and she said I would have never walked toward that guy. I saw that guy under his car. I would have assumed the trap. I would have assumed danger. I would have kept my distance. I would never approach a stranger like that in a parking garage. You as a white man did. And I said, oh shit, Barbarian. I think Barbarian's tape measure scene belongs on this list. One million percent, yes. (laughs) Barbarian was my favorite movie of the year. And this is the scene, like if we only get one Barbarian scene, this sort of encapsulates why that movie works so well. I I will fight Mm -hmm. to the death for the scene and I will back you hard. Yeah, Yeah, I I also really love the mid cut, uh, the mid movie cut to Justin Long. But I think this scene is better because the mid movie cut is just funny in the moment because you're sort of like in that WTF haze of like, what is going on? And like, him with his like deliriously dumbass face just singing as he's driving down the, the PCH. Like it's it's great. It's a, a good moment, but I think the tape measure thing says way more about his character and um and sort of has that humor built into it that you mentioned. So I think of the three, and the other one that we have here is the cops are completely useless and barbarian. I think of the three, that's the one to go. Or that's the one to to pick rather. Yeah, yeah, I, I was going to say the um the cut to, to Justin like it's between the the tape measure and the cut to Justin Long singing his Ricky Ticky Tavi song, just because that's such a great moment. But the tape measure, I just love how long it goes on for. Like you got you think they got to cut this joke at some point. Like surely he's going to realize. But he like goes past a bunch of cages. He's like, oh, that's weird, and then he just carries on with the tape measure still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, and it's in a movie that like. You know, where like because that first bit is so tension filled, and you're coming from such a like horrendous tension filled bit, and then that cut to Justin Long is just the beginning of you realizing, okay, they're going to ease tension for a bit, and the tape measure is just like, no, no, this is how long we're willing to like ease the tension and lean into a joke because you know it's going to circle back to the terror at some point, but that tape measure is just literally, it's almost like a dumb metaphor for look at how long we're dragging this out. Like it's so, it's such a great moment. It's so great. All right. Uh, cut the other two, but Barbarian, what a great movie. What a great effing movie that was. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to cut one. I'm going to find one that hopefully no one will argue about. Um, all right. We have not discussed the Fablemans yet. We'll discuss it in our next episode. But I, I see no reason for Empire of Light to be on this list when Fablemans will be on this list. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to fight back against this because I'm the one who put this uh, one on here. And I think that this, uh, in a movie that is kind of messy because I feel like it's trying to bite off way more than it can chew, this particular scene to me, it, it represents something a little bit different than what The Fablemans does when it comes to representing filmmaking and talking about it. And it kind of struck a chord with me. Um, and it's Toby Jones, who plays a projectionist that works at this theater uh, in uh, in the UK that, that Olivia Coleman's character works at. Um, he is showing the the new kid working at the, the theater how the proje- uh, projection um works and what he says and the way he describes film was rather beautiful to me and that that's what defined the scene and what he says uh he says um 
he says it's just static frames with darkness in between. There's a little flaw in your optic nerve so that if I run the film at 24 frames per second, you don't see the darkness. Uh, and then he continues. He's like, it creates an illusion of motion, an illusion of life out there. They just see a beam of light and nothing happens without light. And to me, I think that there's something beautiful about the idea of film looking beautiful by ignoring the darkness that you don't, you don't see the darkness. And that's, I think a lot of the reason why uh, people like us connect to movies is, is like, it's even the movies that are sad and deal with despair and stuff like that. It's still, it's connecting us in a way that it allows us to deal uh, with that without um, in, in a way that like allows us to connect and really strike an emotional chord. And the way that he described moving pictures to me was, was beautiful. And I, I love it. All right, I'll put it in discussion. I'll find an easier one to cut. Damn it, I thought it was an easy one. Um, we're running out of time. Um, let's cut the other Chip and Dale scene, the Uncanny Valley, where they enter the area of Los Angeles with all the weird mocap anime characters. Yeah, that's it's very fine funny. Yeah. It's very funny, but in a movie where we already have Ugly Sonic, I don't think we need two on the list. Yeah, that's fine. All right. That's going to be the end of part one of this list. We have some locked in, a lot in discussion, and more to even burn through on tomorrow. Ben, do you want to sign us off? Yeah, so you can find more about all the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Also, make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.